Hey, Airbnb hosts, Natalie here. You already hear me every Wednesday on No Vacancy, the podcast, but I've decided to add a bonus episode at the last Friday of every month called Airbnb Advice Column. Every month, I'll ask you to submit your questions, pick three to five that I think most of you could benefit from, and those will go in here. So sit back, enjoy this monthly bonus episode, and thank you for writing in your questions to Airbnb Advice Column, XOXO, Natalie. Before we jump into today's episode, who remembers episode 40 with realtor Tyler Kuhn of Savvy Realty in the North Carolina market? We talked about how to find the perfect market for your short-term rental. And we also talked about why it's important to work with realtors who understand the short-term rental industry and are co-hosts and hosts themselves when you're making your STR purchase. This team knows what it takes to turn a simple property purchase into a big investment without wasting time or resources along the way. So if you are just trying to flip a house, rent out your home, or turn a brand new property into a profitable business, Savvy Realty is the team to help you do it. Tyler and the team are going to look at more than just the specs of the home and number of bedrooms and bathrooms, but is this a property that is likely to get booked by guests? How's it going to do? How are reviews going to be? What's the regulation about short-term rentals in the area? Is there an HOA or CCNRs to look out for? Truly, with a purchase this big, you just want to make sure that you have the experts there holding your hand along the way. Follow the link in the show notes to book a call with a Savvy Realty agent today so that you know your next STR purchase is backed by a realtor who is a host themselves and knows what to look for. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of No Vacancy, the podcast special edition Airbnb advice column. Happy Friday. Happy last Friday of the month. My name is Natalie Palmer, and let's dive into this month's Airbnb advice column. You guys came in hot with your questions this month. I think that I'm going to do four of them. So let's get right into it. All right. First question. Mandy asked, whenever I recently had older guests, they struggle with the smart TV despite my guidebook instructions. Whenever I have younger renters, no problems. Any tips? I was thinking maybe a visual diagram of the remote in my guidebook. Is that too much? LOL. Mandy, that is not too much. I think that that is a fabulous idea. Look, here's the thing when it comes to instructions. I know that as hosts, we don't ever want our guests to feel like we're babying them or that we're assuming that they're dumb and can't figure out how to use a remote or something like that. But think about yourself. If you've ever seen instructions to something that doesn't apply to you, you just ignore it. I don't think you'll I don't think you sit there and you're offended that the person decided to to put instructions somewhere. Um if you ever see signs pointing to go a certain way and you already know which way to go, you just ignore the signs. You're not sitting there irritated by it. So there's no harm in providing more information than what is necessary. The people who don't need it and know how to use the remote, they're they're just not even going to think about it. By by the time they turn on the TV, they'll mentally not even remember that there was instructions there telling them how to use the remote. Here's the deal. I have a feeling that you might be using the Roku TV because I actually have a lot of issues with the Roku remote of people not knowing where the volume button is. If any of you have the Roku remote, the face of the remote does not have the volume buttons. For some reason, the volume is on the side of the remote. I guess it's similar to like how your phone, right, doesn't have buttons on the screen, but the iPhone has the volume buttons on the side. So it's not that weird, but for some reason on a remote, it's just strange because all the other buttons are right there on the front face of the remote. But the Roku TV remote throws the volume on the side. And I have had several guests 
message me and say, oh my God, we just turned on the TV. It was blurry loud and we cannot figure out how to turn down the volume. Can you please help? I would message them back. I would tell them that the volume buttons are on the side and pretty much it was immediately resolved. My rule of thumb personally is once three people have asked a question about something, I think that means it's time to address it. And so if you have had multiple guests who are struggling with the remote, go ahead, provide the diagram, literally take a picture of the remote. Um, Maybe you don't even need to take a picture. I'm sure you can Google one, print it, and then put little arrows saying this button does this, this button does this. Bonus points, if they're struggling with navigating the screen, you could also do the same thing with the home screen of your TV and point out all of the apps. And if you've had more than three people asking about this, then I think it is totally appropriate to to address this issue head on and and look at it this way too. You're helping your guests by making it so that they don't have to reach out to you with questions, but you are also helping yourself because every time those guests reach out, you have to drop what you're doing and call them or text them and send a message on how to use the remote. How nice would it be that they just have a detailed page they can go to and you're also helping your guests because they don't have to feel embarrassed reaching out to you. They have everything right there. If multiple people are going in and out of the house, the one person who reached out to you doesn't have to teach everybody how to use the remote. All the guests can sit down at the TV and know how to use it. So that goes for anything, not just the TV remote. If there's anything that you're being asked multiple questions about, even if you think it's pretty obvious... That clearly means that it needs some explaining. Do not hesitate to explain it at all. You're doing yourself a favor. You're doing your guests a favor. All right, our next question. I actually had four people send this question in. So uh, apparently this is the hot topic. Four of you said, how much toilet paper do you leave for every reservation? Here is my rule of thumb. I would obviously have a full or near full roll on the actual toilet paper holder. I don't think you have to have a perfectly fresh, brand new full roll every single time. If the last one was a little bit used, I think it's fine to reuse it. I would probably stick to the roll being two thirds full or fuller. Anything that's half used or less, I would just throw that one under the sink or let my cleaner take it home. So again, two-thirds full or fuller toilet paper roll on the actual toilet paper holder. And then what I would do is do one toilet paper roll per day per bathroom under the bathroom sink or if you have a toilet paper stand, something like that. So let's break down this math to what this would actually look like. Say that you've got a reservation. They are checking in Friday, checking out Sunday. So they're staying there two nights. My properties have two bathrooms. So each bathroom would have a near full roll on the actual toilet paper holder. And then under the sinks, I would have two extra toilet paper rolls in each bathroom, right? So one per day per bathroom. If you have people staying a week, I would add seven rolls under each of the vanities. If you've got three bathrooms, that's 21 toilet paper rolls you're pulling out. So that's kind of my stance. And personally, where I draw the line is at seven days. Anybody booking a reservation longer than seven days, I would not go beyond one roll per day. I think after seven, you can be responsible for picking up your own toilet paper. But for a three-day weekend, I've got three rolls in each bathroom plus that fourth one that would be on the toilet paper holder. That was some serious toilet paper algebra that I never thought I would have to do. Next question is from Heather, and she said, what would you upgrade in your space if you only had a $100 budget? Heather, I 
I don't know. Can you upgrade anything for $100 these days? I mean, you can't even get a dozen eggs for $100. Okay, but for real, this is probably... $100 is not even enough to like upgrade your your photography or get a get a smart lock. You are seriously limiting my my options here, Heather, okay? But I am up for the challenge. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you guys three things that I think are worth upgrading for $100 or less. All right, first suggestion would be to buy an all new knife set. I think you can get a really good knife set for about 80 bucks. Keeps you in that $100 budget and this is one of those things Every Airbnb I have ever stayed in has had the worst quality knives. I feel like you would make a guess a day by having a perfectly brand new sharp knives. My suggestion to under $100 would be putting in the Pura Air Freshener and Fragrance Kit. I personally have not tried this out yet. I am dying to. But every host I know who has put this in their Airbnb said it made the biggest difference. It just makes your place smell so much fresher than candles, room sprays, and I just think smell is one of those things that you can't photograph it and you don't you don't like notice when it's there, but you notice when it's not there. You notice when the air smells stale. You kind of rem like you feel like the place is like gross when you walk in and it kind of smells musty. And I just think that that's I don't know, investing in good smell I think is just something that even if your guests like can't put a finger on what it is, they're going to feel better. Your place is going to feel more fresh. So the Pura Air Freshener, I think the device is like 40 bucks and you can get three more fragrances for like 10, 15 bucks each, keeping you right under that $100 budget. The next thing I think you could do for under 100 bucks would be if you advertise as pet friendly, adding a little dog bed and a dog food bowl and water bowl, I think would be a really cute little touch to add. If you're going to advertise as pet friendly, this is not necessary. Pet friendly doesn't mean that you have to start adding all these amenities for the pets. It just means that you allow pets. But I think it would be cute as a dog owner to walk into a place that it actually felt like the owner gave a shit about your dog and put in some extra treats for them. So that would be another one that I think you could do for less than 100. And as a bonus, I said I would do three, but I just thought of one more. Another thing you could do for under 100 is get a custom order of keychains or pens with your property name or branded logo or color on them. You could order literally 100 keychains, 150 keychains for probably 100 bucks. Um, you could get 150 pens for 100 bucks. And I just think that that's a cute thing to leave with people and have them take with them. If just one person has that pen or has that keychain and that makes them remember to book your place again that has already paid for itself so that is a really cheap investment that I think would keep on giving over and over again and it's just a cute touch something very easy you could do for under a hundred bucks and our last question today comes from Jason who said so I am pretty new to the hosting game I'm an arrow bear cool we're neighbors you're right by big bear just found out my local cleaner doesn't clean during snowstorms. Should I fire her and find someone more reliable or is it a good enough excuse to stay safe? Okay, Jason. So uh, this is a tough one. Like I would obviously never want to put my cleaner in harm's way. I just am not a bad person, I don't think. And even if you are the most selfish person on the planet, you still shouldn't want your cleaner in harm's way because 
then you're not going to have a cleaner if they get injured, okay? So even the most cynical person on the planet should still want their cleaner to stay safe. What makes me nervous, though, about her just saying, I don't clean in snowstorms, is how does she define that? If Does she define snowstorm as anytime she has to put on snow chains, she's out? I mean, that's going to be a huge chunk of time that she cannot show up for cleanings. Is she talking about if it's a huge blizzard and all the roads are shut down? That would be very different. And then your guests can't even get to the property. So, you know, the cleaning is is the last of your worries. At that point, you're going to have to cancel all your reservations. So I I think it's reasonable for her to set her boundaries and basically say, I, I don't want to work for somebody who's going to make me show up if there is a literal tree fallen in the middle of the street and you're going to make me walk over it with my cleaning caddy and my vacuum. Like that is totally fair for her to set those boundaries. But I think that you do need to have a follow-up conversation on how does she define snowstorm? Like, are we literally going to be measuring the inches of snow? How much advance notice does she need? If the weather forecast says it's going to snow, is she just going to dip or is she going to sit there and like, watch the weather and if the snow isn't as bad as she thought or they're staying on top and plowing it regularly can she show up in that case is she gonna make a good faith effort I think that that's what you want to know so I I think it's totally fair for a cleaner to set these boundaries but I think that you just need to have a follow-up conversation it's uh, I don't know this this one just it makes me a little bit nervous I'm not gonna lie again even though I I really respect the cleaner for saying that I do. I think it's actually good that she she's probably had some really shitty days cleaning in a snowstorm and been burned by owners who didn't respect that and didn't want to pay her extra. So I do like that she's putting her foot down, but this is just so vague. Maybe you're just summarizing your message and she did provide more detail and you're just summarizing your message to me. But I would just want to be really, really clear on what defines a snowstorm that she is or is not going to show up for. And you basically have to decide on your own if that's worth it to you. If she's a good cleaner and she's reliable in every other case, then maybe you can keep her and just find one backup cleaner that's going to show up in a snowstorm. But if you think that this is kind of this woman hinting that anytime it's so much as raining or there's a little bit of holiday traffic, she's going to bounce, then you want to know that earlier rather than later. Because the truth is being an Arrow Bear, being in Big Bear, being anywhere in Big Bear Valley where we both are, those snow days are going to be your busiest days, your busiest season. Those are the nights that you can charge the highest rate for. And we pay our cleaners extra when they have to come in a snowstorm because I know it sucks and they're spending a lot more time driving. So maybe you can come to a compromise like that. So just try to figure out what exactly she means by that. And if you need to find a backup cleaner for those days, you definitely don't want to lose out on all of the snow days because... Those are the best when you are hosting in a mountain town. And on that note, I am pacing out. Got to keep this episode short because we are just three days out from Level Up Your Listing Summit and I got to drive to Scottsdale in like 24 hours. So I will see you guys in Arizona so, so soon. If you haven't got your ticket yet, there may just be a handful left. Run to levelupyourlistingsummit.com. Use code NATALIE10 to save 10% on general admission or VIP tickets. If you are not available to go in person, there is a replay option available. Prices on the replays go up next week. So make sure that you save that over the weekend. And I will see the rest of you in Arizona. Mwah!